Okay, Psalm 29. It begins a Psalm of David. Ascribe to the Lord, O sons of the mighty, ascribe to the Lord glory and strength. Ascribe to the Lord the glory due to His name. Worship the Lord in holy array. The voice of the Lord is upon the waters. The God of glory thunders. The Lord is over many waters. The voice of the Lord is powerful. The voice of the Lord is majestic. The voice of the Lord breaks the cedars. Yes, the Lord breaks in pieces the cedars of Lebanon. He makes Lebanon skip like a calf and Syrian like a young wild ox. The voice of the Lord hews out flames of fire. The voice of the Lord shakes the wilderness. The Lord shakes the wilderness of Kadesh. The voice of the Lord makes the deer to calf and strips the forest bare. And in His temple everything says glory. The Lord sat as king at the flood. Yes, the Lord sits as king forever. The Lord will give strength to His people And the Lord will bless His people with peace. One of the things that's striking about the psalm is the name Lord is mentioned in every verse. And in all, it is mentioned, I believe, 18 times in Psalm 29. The phrase, the voice of the Lord, is used seven times. So, the Lord 18 times, the voice of the Lord 7 times, and yet, God doesn't speak in the psalm. God doesn't speak. And man says one word, glory. The rest is just talking of the voice of the Lord as revealed through nature, as revealed in the storm, as revealed in the lightning and the thunder. The voice of the Lord. Now, if you read much on Psalm 29, you will find some that will say, Psalm 29 was originally a poem to Baal where the author has just taken this poem to Baal and substituted the name Yahweh. Some people assert this so strongly you may think that they're looking at this copy of the poem with this original uh, copy that, that is addressed to Baal. But no such thing exists. There is no clear examples of hymns of praise among the Canaanite people. But uh, while that presses it a little too far, that presses it a little too far as far as the evidence goes, what was Baal believed to control in the ancient world? The weather. The weather, the storm, and all that's connected with it. That's why you find in 1 Kings chapter 17 and in 1 Kings chapter 18, 
you find Elijah coming in before Ahab and said, as the Lord lives, there's not going to be any dew, there's not going to be any rain until I say so. Well, why was he saying that? Why no dew? Why no rain? One, the societies deeply depended upon that, but also because they were worshiping Baal, who's believed to control those things. And remember when they had the contest with the prophets of Baal and he lets the prophets of Baal go first and put an ox upon the altar with no fire under it and they call on the name of their God and they see if their God will answer by fire. And I take it that that is lightning coming down and starting that fire and consuming the sacrifice. And Baal cannot answer, but the Lord does. The Lord does. And often in cases when Israel worshipped Baal and turned to Baal, uh, God sent a famine or God sent a drought. Uh, An example of that, Jeremiah mentions often the people were worshipping Baal. And in Jeremiah 14 verses 1 through 6, he mentions a drought uh, that comes on the land. There is no rain. And the lack of rain is again a reminder that it's not Baal who provides these things, but it is the Lord who provides these things. Um, Look at, we've already mentioned a few passages here. Look at Hosea chapter 2. Hosea chapter 2. We could make the point about an archaeological find. An archaeological find doesn't isn't pulled up from the ground with a date on it. I come, I lived in 1050 BC. Those facts must be interpreted. History must be interpreted. Do people ever interpret history incorrectly? All the time. But look at Hosea's day as they were worshiping other gods. And Hosea uses the image of adultery to describe Israel going after other gods. In verse 5, Hosea 2 verse 5. Their mother has played the harlot. She who conceived them has acted shamefully. And she said, I will go after my lovers who give me my bread and my water, my wool and my flax my oil and my my drink. I will go after my lovers. They are the ones who provide all of these things. Look at verse 8. Verse 8. She does not know that it is I who gave her the grain, the new wine, and the oil, and lavished on her silver and gold, which she used for Baal. All throughout Israel's history, it was the Lord who provided for them. They often misinterpreted this, even when they were prosperous. And they believed it was Baal who was providing these things. And they gave him thanks. And they gave him glory. This passage reveals to us that it is God who sends the storm. He is the God of the weather. He is the God of the storm. He is the God who sends fertility upon the land, who causes it to produce. And he is the one who deserves all the praise. Now, those are just some introductory comments. Do you have a thought there? Do you have anything that you want to to say or ask? 
We'll break this psalm up. And for those of you who were a little later, you didn't get to see my great outline uh, of the psalm, which included 13 verses, while there are only 11 in the text. Um, but in verses 1 and 2, a call to praise God. A call to praise God. Now, the ESV is going to be a little different here. Ascribe to the Lord, O sons of the mighty, ascribe to the Lord glory and strength. Instead of sons of the mighty, what does the ESV have? It says what? Heavenly kings or beings? Beings. Heavenly beings. I think the NIV has the same thing. Heavenly beings in verse 1. Instead of this saying, sons of the mighty, it says, O um, heavenly beings. 29 verse 1. Now, when you think of that, O heavenly beings, or sons of the mighty, what, what, what idea pops into your head first? Angels, yes. You say that inquisitively, but I think that that's that's what pops into my head first as well. Job thirty-eight verse seven: the um, the sons of God rejoice when uh, the earth is created, and you see it also in Job one verse six: the sons of God um, were there with God when when the Satan appears among them. But I think of angels. Now, some in the ancient Near East would have thought about that as being other gods. Now, if this is to be a reference to other gods, it is not acknowledging their reality, but it is emphasizing the superiority of the Lord over these other gods. These other things that men call gods and worship as gods bow down before our God is what David is saying. Same kind of idea in Psalm 97 verse 7. Let all those be ashamed who serve graven images, who boast themselves of idols. Worship Him all you gods. So it's like all the gods of all the nations are called to worship the true God and to bow before Him. So whether it be a reference to angels, whether it be a reference to to other gods in that way, again, not acknowledging their reality, but simply stating that God is greater than all. They are all ascribing to the Lord glory and strength, the glory due His name, and they are worshiping the Lord in holy array. Now, holy array, um, that word only used a few times, those words in the Old Testament. It's used in Exodus 28, verse 2. Exodus 28.2 to talk about Aaron's garments. You shall make holy garments for Aaron your brother for glory and for beauty. Now, if I just give you that parallel and I said this is used for Herod, for Aaron's garments, what do you think of as the holy array? Be worship the Lord in holy array. 
It may not be catching on. Well, I'm, I'm thinking spiritual. Okay. Garments. Okay. Spiritual garments um, being prepared in His holiness uh, to worship Him in His holiness and His greatness. Um, listen to this, though. When he consulted with the people, he appointed those who sang to the Lord and those who praised him in holy attire. That's Second Chronicles 20, verse 21. I don't know if it stands out, but this was my point. If I just read that passage about Exodus 28, verse 2, the holy attire could seem to refer to what men where in worshiping God. But if I read the passage in 2 Chronicles, 2 Chronicles, not 2 Corinthians, but 2 Chronicles 20, verse 21, it sounds like it's a way to describe God's holiness. I'm not sure my little writing on the board makes that distinction clear. Which is possible, it's possible that either one of them is true. But it could be a reference to to the wearing of holy garments in His presence in a sense that we wear the holy garments because we come into this place with thought and with care. and Or it could be a reference to God's holiness. God's honor. But ascribe to the Lord glory and strength. Um... Then verses. Any, any questions there? Any comments? Any ideas? The heart of the psalm uh, is the section from verses three through nine. The glory of the Lord in the thunderstorm. I, I want to tell you. I've been some, and, and you have too, probably. I have witnessed some, experienced some pretty bad thunderstorms and some that I would have not driven in had I had any option and uh, I may have told you this story before about I can remember I had just come back from FC and I was I was supposed to preach one Sunday morning about uh, an hour away and I, I came and and I the the rain was falling down so strongly, so it was so heavy that as soon as the windshield wiper, which was on full speed, as soon as it cleared the windshield wiper, as soon as the windshield wiper cleared the the windshield, it was covered again, and you couldn't see. And the the thunder was deafening, and the lightning seemed like it was striking all around. And they say you can count the number of seconds between the lightning and the um, thunder and determine how far the storm is away, but it was almost simultaneous. And um, and there were deer who were confused too and running out on the road even though it was Sunday morning and they didn't know they ought to have been at church. And um, so it, it was just, and I thought, I am not going to survive this experience. And it was it was just, and I, told, I think I told you this before because it was about a month before 
um, my wedding, and I thought, you know, Christy will, will I'm going to die, and she will never marry, and will mourn me <laughs> the rest of her life, and uh, and I'm sure she would have, and uh, but uh, somehow I survived the experience, and um, but the point, uh, you can be in a storm that that terrifies you, and you think there's no way out of this thing, I mean, you think that you think. Uh, that you may not make it. And all of you have had some kind of experience like that. Think about how little, how little that reveals about God's power. How little it reveals about His power. And yet... It doesn't take much of a display of God's power to make us all tremble and drive us to our knees. And I think that we see that in these words of the psalm. Uh, By the way, have you noticed the word glory was mentioned in verse 1 and in verse 2? And it's going to be mentioned again in verse 3. The voice of the Lord is upon the waters. Okay? Let me remind you of our first rule. Always look at the context. What do you think the voice of the Lord may be? The voice of the Lord is upon the waters... What's the next section say? The God of glory thunders. Thunder may be the reference to the voice of God in this in this particular uh, psalm. Now, a couple of other passages to to read along with us in First Samuel two and verse ten, and this is the end of Hannah's prayer. First Samuel two verse ten: Those who contend with the Lord will be shattered against them; He will thunder in the heavens. In Job thirty seven, in verses four and five, after it. A voice roars. He thunders with his majestic voice. He does not restrain the lightning when his voice is heard. God thunders with his voice wondrously, doing great things which we cannot comprehend. When you hear the deafening thunder, is a reminder to us of the voice and the power of of God. The voice of the Lord is upon the waters. The God of glory thunders. The voice, the Lord is over many waters. The voice of the Lord is powerful. It's majestic. It breaks the cedars. It breaks in pieces. It shatters the cedars of Lebanon. What can you tell me? about the cedars of Lebanon. Can you say very much? Brad, you were shaking your head. Yeah, when you think of sequoia or, you know, the big trees, just the most powerful thing, just 
it is majestic. It, you, you see those, uh, the, yeah. the massiveness and the girth of those trees, yeah. and you just think, how could you ever uh, destroy that? But this is just yeah. making it fall apart. So, Well, you, th- you mentioned the sequoias um, in California, which they believe some of them are as old as the time of Christ or before. And um, you've seen the picture before. I have not seen this in person. You've seen the picture of that forest where you have that road carved out, that tree, and you can drive under it and still, I mean, that's only just a small portion of the tree. When they see the tree, a big person, the tree is enormous. And it's like you can drive right through the, the tree. I think there were two lanes of that. And uh, it, it's, it's, it's really just in, impressive, incredible. And the cedars of Lebanon and the oaks of Bashan are the most powerful trees, the, big, the largest trees. They are the sequoias of, of the land of Israel and thereabouts in the Old Testament. Now those cedars of Lebanon were used in building the temple, remember, in 1 Kings 5, and also in, in, in the language of the ancient Near East, in, the, in ancient Near Eastern text, uh, this is also the gods were said to have built their uh, dwelling places out of the cedars of Lebanon. But the cedars of Lebanon are the most powerful of trees, and yet a thunderstorm can shatter them. Now, I know some of you have had this experience. And I have had this experience. And, and I can remember one of the times is after I first moved to Florida and we had a hurricane was warning it was going to hit. And by the time it hit, it was a hurricane. It was um, one. Category one. Category is the word I was looking for. Category one. Now, you know what that means? That means on a big scale of hurricanes, that, that's nothing. It's, it's even embarrassment to say you live through that. <laughs> you know, I mean, uh, a hurricane one doesn't kill anybody, and it didn't in that case. And usually, usually that's the case. There may be an exception, but it still looked like a war zone driving through there afterwards to see trees that had been there a very long time and they've been torn down or uprooted. And and you've seen the same thing with storms. You've seen the same things with other effects of the weather. The Lord, in, in by His control of the universe and His control of the weather, can break in pieces the most powerful trees and the most powerful symbols of strength that we know. That we know. Now... It is also interesting that these places that are mentioned in this psalm, he mentions the cedars of Lebanon. He mentions um, Lebanon in verse 6. He mentions Syrian, uh, which is probably a name for... Um, it was it was the largest mountain range of, of um, Syria. And... He mentions in verse 8, Kadesh. All these places seem to be outside of Israelite territory. And most of these places would have been 
in territories worshipped by Baal. But when this storm sweeps through Baal's country, it is not Baal who is in control of the storm. Even when it strikes these places, it is the Lord, it is Yahweh, it is Israel's God who is in control. He breaks the cedars, he breaks in pieces the cedars of Lebanon. Now, there are other impressive stories we can tell about the power of a storm. But let me tell you this one. And uh, I have had people tell me that this is... I've had so many people tell me that this is confirmed it's true. Every time I tell it, somebody says, Oh, yes, I read that. I know it's true. I've never read the actual story that said it. But they have found storms where the wind was blowing so intensely that pieces of straw were driven through huge trees. Now, I don't know exactly how you determine that or who's looking that closely at the tree to decide that afterwards. Can you imagine the velocity that that piece of straw would have to be traveling at to go through a huge tree? You could try to throw a piece of straw through a tree the rest of your life and never make it. Uh, It just is incredible what the Lord does through the storm. He can break in pieces the most powerful of trees. He can cause the whole universe to skip like a calf in verse 6. And it almost sounds like that's an earthquake that's being described. In verse 7, he hews out flames of fire. Do any of your versions have anything different for flames of fire in verse 7? Do any versions use the word lightning there? Because I was thinking there are some... That's obviously what's talked about, but I didn't know if any of those... It's just a footnote. A footnote, okay. New living. The voice of the Lord hews out the flames of fire. By the way, in Job 36... In verse 32, one of the things said about God is He commands the lightning to strike its mark. So God is in control of the storm. God is in control of the lightning. In verse 8, the voice of the Lord shakes the wilderness. He shakes the wilderness of Kadesh. The voice of the Lord makes the deer to calf and the strips the forest bare and in His temple everything says glory. Um, But God's voice shakes the entire wilderness. The first of verse 9, there's a question in your translations. It says to make the deer to calf. Some of the versions had, I think it might be the NIV, his God, uh, God twist the mighty oak. Is that, is that you're reading that any of, I think it's the NIV. The first of verse nine, and, and there's there's whatever there there's a lot of technical debate you can read about that, but I think the point is you are seeing that God's power demonstrated in this storm that turns everything upside down, and it says all that is in His temple says glory. Now the idea may be that this God who is the God who sends the storm over the world is the God praised in the temple. Uh, that's going to be built in Jerusalem. That could be the idea. But I'm not so sure. 
that in this passage, the entire earth isn't considered his temple. In a certain sense, that's true, isn't it? I mean, because because the Lord is the one who controls all the earth. And in a way, all of these things reflect the greatness, the glory, the power of God. So that we just stand in awe of Him. Does this reflect back to Mount Sinai at all? You know, that image of, you know, God on the, the mountaintop and... In Mount Sinai... You say, you know, we, yeah. we can't stand before this and... Yes. Does that have any... I, I, absolutely. Back? I think I think it does. Um, Exodus nineteen sixteen through 19 is particularly what Brad is mentioning. Uh, there was thunder, there was lightning flashes, there was a thick cloud, there was a loud trumpet. Uh, that All the people in the camp trembled. You, 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 the smoke goes up in verse 18, like the smoke of a furnace. In Exodus 20, you're going to see the same kind of thing. The thunder, the lightning flashes, the sound of the trumpet, the mountain smoking. Uh, the people said, let God speak to us and don't let... Uh, Moses, you speak to us and don't let God speak to us or we will die. Now, there are a lot of times in the Bible you see that kind of de- that description of Mount Sinai picked up on, like Judges 5, 4 and 5. And the idea, it, it uses that literal picture. It uses a literal picture of Exodus, a lot of these places in a figurative way. Of course, Psalm 29 is using it again literally. Uh, just refer to God's power displayed there. But but you're right. And two, I think, I like the way you ended that with, with the fact that all of this power displayed, it leads the people to stand in awe of God. And that's the way it should be for us. It should, it should be for us um, that we should stand in awe of Him. And when we see these displays of of um, of nature, what must it have been like during the flood during Noah's day? You want to be on the ark? <laughs> yeah, you can't. You cannot imagine. Which will be mentioned in just a moment. Okay. Be mentioned. So quick. Don't jump ahead of my points, but but, uh, but that is a good thought. I can remember. You remember April sixteenth of ninety eight. You remember that day, and you remember I was preaching in a meeting that night, and it was a horrible uh, tornado sweeping through Middle Tennessee, and and uh, it was just there were rivers that day where there were none uh, before or since. <laughs> and uh, just an amazing sight. And all of it does lead us to stand in awe of Him. Okay, let's go to verses 10 and 11 that we kind of alluded to. It says, The Lord sat as king at the flood. The Lord sits as king forever. The Lord will give strength to His people and He will bless His people with peace. Now, why can I be confident? I mean, this is just talked about a thunderstorm. Maybe it's just talking about some kind of a local flood in this passage. How can I be confident that this is talking about the Genesis flood? Well, 
That word is used, I think, only 12 times in the Old Testament, 12 or 13 times. Every case except this time is used in Genesis 6-11 of that flood. So to me, that's a pretty good indication this is that flood. You talk about the ultimate unleashing of God's power via weather. That's it. That's it. And as we've stated, we've all been in thunderstorms that were powerful enough that we were terrified and feared whether we would survive. And only eight survived that. But when all this power was unleashed, the Lord was in control. The Lord sat as king at the flood. Now think about that from several perspectives. One, look how few people are acknowledging Him. The Lord sat as king at the flood. And the Lord is in control of these mighty elements of nature. The Lord sets as king forever. Verse 11, the Lord will give strength to His people. The word strength was mentioned in verse 1. Ascribe to the Lord glory and strength. Ascribe to the Lord glory and strength in verse 1. In verse 11, the Lord will give strength to His people. The same strength of God, the same power of God, which is so awesomely displayed in this ferocious storm, God has to give to His people. To strengthen us. To hold us up. And you, as one who has seen a horrible storm, I think you probably also can remember the feeling of peace when everything quiets down after the storm. Not only does the Lord give strength to His people, but verse 11 emphasizes He will bless His people with peace. Now, all this psalm is talked about a storm. But now, the last word is peace. Last word is peace. And that, that's interesting. The Lord who can send the ferocious storm can give peace, and there is no fury that He cannot calm. No fury God cannot calm. If any observations right here over this. Yes. It just makes you think or makes you wonder what David was going through to write this type of Yes. There are no requests in this psalm. There are no mention of enemies. Uh, but uh, there... Uh, there is just praise for a God who controls all of this. But yes, you do wonder. Uh, you do wonder uh, what uh, what he had seen, what had been experienced, or what he was going through that would have led him to produce this. Often the Bible does take kind of the kind of language that other nations would have ascribed to their gods believing. You know, Baal was pictured, and we have we have some things in, on rock 
that that have still remained pictures of, of drawings on caves with Baal with a lightning bolt in his hand. And the things they use to claim for their God, the Bible does, of the God of Israel. God is the Lord who controls that and who has power over the storm. What what else? I think you're just overwhelmed by the power of God in the midst of this in the midst of this song. And then amazed that it ends saying he will bless his people with peace. Yes, I am too. So he's that powerful of a God that can destroy places, make mountains jump like yes. a calf, can do all these things, and he's going to strengthen you and give you peace. Like not yes. destroy Abs- everybody. Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah, the fact that he can create the same kind of peace. In Revelation 10 verse 3, there's a reference to the seven thunders. You'll find some commentaries mention that um, in connection with with Psalm 29. Uh, whether there's an allusion there, I don't know. Um, let me just ask you our question that we like to come to. How does Psalm 29 relate to Jesus? What does, how does Psalm 29 relate to him? Okay. You see him calming the storm. Matthew 8. Mark 4. Luke 8. But Jesus calms the storm. Jesus is asleep. The only time in the Gospels Jesus is specifically said to sleep. <laughs> He's asleep on the boat in the midst of the storm. The storm is so severe that the men think they're going to drown. Fishermen. Fishermen, yeah. I mean, they knew about this lake and they knew about dangers on the lake and they're thinking they're going to, to uh, sink. One thing I like in that, in that particular if you look at the Gospels, the disciples, when it records the words of the disciples, what the disciples were shouting, they're different in every Gospel. Now, you might say, a, a skeptic may say, oh, it's a contradiction. No, that's real life. Everybody's screaming something different. <laughs> but everybody's basic screaming as the same message. What are you doing? Wake up. Don't you care about us? We're drowning. You know, they, they, they all, it's all worded a little differently, but the disciples are panicking. As Brad mentions, the fishermen are panicking, thinking they're going to drown. And Jesus wakes up and he says, Be still. And everything gets quiet. Now, I can remember very well one night looking out of my house and the rain was hitting so hard that it looked like it was bouncing up about six feet. I mean, it was just, it was coming down in sheets. If you would have been out in it ten seconds, you would have been drenched. 
And you understand me. I wasn't expecting a result, but I just tried to get the feel of it. I just put it be still. <laughs> of course, nothing happened. Nothing happened. Which, which, uh, I don't know what I would have done if it But, uh, but you think about one who could command the winds and the waves. And the way the account in Mark ends is, who is this? <coughs> Even the winds and the waves obey him. Now, there's another miracle not long after that that's kind of the same. What else happened? He calms the storm. This is most directly connected, but also think about walking on the water. And Peter says, Lord, is that you walking on the water? And let me come to you. Sometimes you just need to keep your mouth quiet and sit there in the boat. Mm-hmm. Peter would not do that and walks for a moment on the water. This is recorded interestingly in Matthew, Mark, and John, not in Luke. But he sinks when he puts his takes his eye off Jesus and puts his eye on the storm. But Jesus calmed the sea. Jesus walked on the water. All these demonstrate His his power over nature. Can you think of any other things? There are probably a lot that I didn't come up with. But I will tell you another one that I, that, that, that I in, in some that spurred on by reading. But think about the miracle of the water to the wine. That, that just shows us His control over the elements in this case is what I'm trying to stress and think about the fact that when he died and was raised that the Bible speaks of earthquakes in Matthew Matthew 27 is it verse 51 and 28, 2 through 4? I think it's 51, I'm not sure. But the earth began to quake. But all of these show us the same God of the Old Testament has revealed himself in Jesus Christ. Now, let me look at the passage, Matthew. Yes, it's, it's verse 51. Why would we look for strength anywhere else than Him? Uh, understanding His limitless strength, why would we look anywhere else? What else? Am I believing out something? Okay. Well, I'm just, I'm just thinking. Like, I don't know. What, what's the connection? And when I think of... Jesus is the word, and when I think of the voice, like what's the connection of okay, voice that's a good and question. word? You know? That's 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 a good, you know. Really, I, we could take that voice of the Lord from Genesis one, where God said, 
all the way to the end of the Bible. So that, that's a good connection, though. I hadn't thought of that. The voice of the Lord. In a sense, Jesus... I, I don't know how to sum up in a few words what that means, that He is the Word. It's only a title used in John. and um, but But I don't know how to sum it up in a few words... Or to feel like I've got my arms around it. But I, I, there's got to be a connection there. There's got to be a connection. Brad? Uh, that first um, description there, verse 3, you know, the voice of the Lord is upon the waters. I couldn't help but think of both Jesus as creator at creation, you know, you know, the expanse and yeah. him speaking all of this into existence. And then also at the baptism of Jesus, you know, God coming out and the voice of the Lord with good Jesus is being That's baptized and just, um, I, I don't know, it's not a storm, but I, I couldn't help but think about those sure. instances. Uh, the, the voice, voice of, of the Lord, Lord upon the waters. The waters. Yeah, yeah, I mean, it's, it's a good point. Very good point. Wow. So I appreciate your thoughts along that line. I hadn't thought in those terms, but, but those are good. What else? Do you do you want do you want to read that or you want me to read that? I didn't. You didn't say it. Well, it's not all together. Okay. Maybe I could send it out. Okay. I don't think you would be because I, I had to copy it in different sections. Okay. Yeah, but something she was just corresponding with someone on the Psalms, and uh, it's, it's a person that some of you would know, but but the. The young lady wrote what she wrote on this was tremendous, and it was so well worded about uh, this idea of the voice, the voice of the Lord in Psalm twenty nine. What psalm are you on now? She's frantically turning down. This is how long your conversation? <laughs> no, yeah. Maybe after. Okay. She wants to do the song or okay. 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 Well, I appreciate it, guys, and. Uh, Brad, would you want to lead us in prayer? Sure.